0: Good evening to each of you, and greetings in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Privileged to be together again in this way. Thank you for praying. Thank you for praying for my family. I think they've been surviving. My wife did tell me tonight that she's weary, and this is the night before market, so I told her just to cut it down as bare bones as she could. I don't know if she'll listen to me or not. If you'll pray for her, that'll be appreciated. I do thank you for praying for God to bless us in these meetings. I do want to give opportunity for some response tonight if you feel that need or that interest. And I want to say something about conviction that comes from God. I think there's probably at least three categories, different types of conviction that God brings into the human heart. One is when someone is not a Christian and God speaks to us about our original sin problem. It's not for the times we smarted our mom off or stole a cookie or or thought bad thoughts or whatever we did. It's the fact that by nature we're a sinner and we need a savior. And God comes and Most of you may remember what that's like. We know that without a Savior, we're lost. We're not going to go to heaven. We're not going to be right with God unless we get help outside of ourselves. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a conviction of the state of being a sinner in need of a Savior. Then for those who are Christians, there is sometimes... That condition in us that we know we have been allowing for sin, permitting sin, covering sin, falling victim to sin, and the conviction is to repent. You need to confess this, you need to change your attitude towards it, you need to do something about it. Sometimes that can be just directly between us and God, and that's okay, we... You know what? The real meaning of confession is, the real essence of confession is agreeing with God. That's what it is. It's not going to a priest or a preacher. Or, and I mean, there's times when we should go and acknowledge to our brotherhood some, or our wife or whoever that we've done some wrong things, do some reconciliation. But the essence of confession is God says, you know, this thing you've been doing is wrong. This thing grieves my spirit. And the moment we say, yes, Lord, I agree and I'm willing to do something about it, that's true confession. We put ourselves in agreement with what God thinks of us in our actions. And so there's that kind of conviction sometimes. I need to repent. I need to change something. And then I think all of us should desire the other kind of conviction, which is God's pull on our heart for growth and development as Christians. And in a general sense, we're right with God, and we love him, and we're serving him, but God says, give me more, or grow in this, and would you add this in your devotion to me? And, and we like to hear that. If we have a healthy respect toward God, we feel blessed when we feel that. It's like the call to come higher and, and purify a closer walk with God. I'd like to give an invitation tonight after the message, and uh, if you want to commit something to God that you have felt led to commit to God, you want to testify of something, you will repent of something, I don't know if there's anybody here that are not Christians who God is calling to make a commitment with Jesus Christ, that will be available too. I want to say this, I'm going to preach about prayer tonight. And I do not encourage anyone to make radical commitments about prayer they can't keep. You be careful about that. I heard a preacher one time doing the kind of work I'm doing tonight, and he encouraged everyone present to commit to a half-hour of prayer a day. That's very dangerous. It's very likely there's going to be days in your life when you can't do a half an hour or just don't get around to it or whatever. And uh, so... I think, it's, I think we should commit things to God, but be careful about commitments you can't keep. Because it's better not to vow than to vow and not pay. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we give you thanks that we're here in this way again tonight. And we have an opportunity to sing together, to pray together. We have the opportunity to allow you to speak to us from your Word. And uh, God, would you cleanse us from any secret or even unknown sin in our life? Because we heard tonight already that if we regard iniquity in our hearts, you won't hear us. And so we want to be pure, we want to be consecrated, we want to be a sanctified people a people who have our heart turned towards you. And I pray, God, that tonight on this very vital subject, you will raise your voice in our hearts and increase our faith, increase our discipline, increase our interest and the practice of praying. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God had one holy, perfect son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was in a very effective preacher, storyteller. He was a man of miracles. He was a man of devotion and zeal. He was a man of prayer. You can't read the New Testament and not know that Jesus gave himself in a very significant way to, to prayer. We know that the night before he chose the apostles, he prayed all night. We know that there were times it spoke of him that he prayed to the second or third watch of the night. Uh, Jesus prayed. And he prayed so effectively that his disciples saw the connection between his prayers and his power. And they said to him, please teach us how to pray. They, they, they saw that it was a vital part of his living and the way he lived and walked. I want to share a story right in the beginning, a story that started, I think, last night. I was talking about Pablo Yoder. I almost hesitate to give this the rest of this story because it involves me. And uh, if there's somebody that needs this subject tonight, it starts with me. I, I really do believe in prayer and the power of prayer, but prayer is hard work in case you never knew it. And it takes a lot of discipline, that's where I fall down so much. It's not that I don't believe in prayer, but the hard work to get it done. And so I don't—I had no way consider myself quite a prayer warrior. But I've seen what God would do by prayer. You know, I was talking to you about how we had those two weeks of meetings and Monday through Friday, and we was all down to the ninth night, and we had a special effort in fasting and prayer on that ninth day. And uh, Brother Pablo um, committed his family to God and and really got close to God, and he preached a message that night, and quite a few people responded. Well, then I was to have the last night. That's the rest of the story. I was to have the next night. And uh, I really wanted God to keep working. And so I was trying to, and I don't do good at fasting. I like to eat too good. But uh, some of you know that. (laughs) But anyway, uh, I was trying, and... I had a special problem that day, though. I want you to know this. And I want you to know this because this is part of the whole, it's our willingness to give of ourselves in reaching out to God. Because uh, I'll just pause here a minute to say a few things that are wrong concepts about prayer. One of the greatest wrong concepts about prayer is that God knows everything. He knows our needs. He knows what he wants to do. He can do it without us. Well, yes, absolutely. In fact, God could so overwhelm us with his presence and his grace that we'd be robots. We would just automatically do what God wants. But in his sovereignty, God has decided to give man and woman a choice. And one of the choices he's given us is how our environment is going to be spiritually. If you want to live in a cold spiritual environment, you can, and God's not going to overwhelm you and give you great love for him. If you want to live close to God, that's your choice. And if you want to see God do things for you in a very special way, you're going to have to ask him because he's given you that choice. You know, the scripture says, "Ye have not. You know the rest of that? Because ye ask not. Now, God said that, folks through a writer. But God said that. You don't have because you don't ask. Does God know what we need? Sure. But you still don't have because you don't ask. So that's a fallacy. That that is a wrong concept to think, well, God knows it all so he'll take care of it. No, he won't. Because he wants you to have faith in him and he wants you to exercise that faith. Another wrong fallacy is That it honors God for us just to say, praise the Lord, thank you, you're a wonderful God, hallelujah. And don't bother him too much with petitions. You know, that's selfish. Petitions are selfish. No, it's not. Petitions honor God because God wants you to trust him enough to ask for what you need. And when you give God an opportunity to work in your life, that honors God. Now, if you're asking for a BMW when you don't need a BMW, that's different. That can get selfish, you know. But when you're doing, when you're asking for things that God wants to give you, hey, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he wants to give you a BMW. Uh, I kind of doubt it, though. And that's another subject in itself. But, uh, yeah, God wants us to petition Another fallacy is that, well, if I say it once, God heard it, he knows it, it's all done. No need to keep praying, no need to repeat. You know, don't the Bible say about vain repetitions? Well, if they're vain repetitions, they're vain repetitions. But not all repetition is vain. Because, and we'll get into this a little more, prayer is a battlefield. It's a spiritual war going on. And many times as we exercise ourselves in that battlefield, we come back to praying the same things again because there's spiritual resistance going on. And fasting. I'm not going to say a lot about fasting tonight, but fasting is a God-chosen way for us to humble ourselves before him in prayer and keep the prayer going. You know, Probably no one's going to pray 24 hours a day. But by fasting 24 hours a day, you can keep the prayer rolling. And the petition is before God. and You're demonstrating it. And we see that in the Bible, and we've experienced it. Well, you know, I had seen God work wonderfully on Tuesday night. I knew that people were still praying. I knew it was my responsibility to bring the word of God on the last night. I had preached the previous Friday night. Not a thing had happened that I was aware of. I preached, I think, a thoroughly strong message. But you know what? You can preach a strong message that don't do anything. I recognize that sometimes we don't know all that God's doing. I understand that. But, you know, it is what it is. So, now... I told the people who served me rice and red beans tonight that I wasn't talking about them when I said this. But if you attend Bible school in El Salvador, you're liable to get red beans and rice about two-thirds of the mills. And, you know, I already went through nine days of this. Rice and red beans, rice and red beans, and rice and red beans. And it was good food, but it was getting tad monotonous and for supper that night, the last night, the last time the whole Bible school was going to have a meal together, they set aside the rice and red beans and they were going to have pizza. And they were making it right outside my room. And I was in there trying to pray and trying to get ready for this message and trying to fast, and there was pizza being offered up. Now, I. God did not speak to me audibly, but he seemed to say to my heart, if you're willing to give something my way, if you're willing to pay the price, then I'll work on you all's behalf. And uh, I just want to say that it's true. I was very young in my ministry, and God taught me a very important lesson that night. Somehow he gave me grace to say no to the pizza And I didn't I didn't do much of this, but I believe there were brethren helping souls into the wee hours of the night that night. And God taught me a little something about prayer. He taught taught me a little something about pushing. And I want to tell you what I mean by pushing. It's an acronym. Push. Maybe you remember this for at least a day or two. Pray until something happens. Don't just pray and let it go, but pray until something happens. If it's God's will and you keep with it, it will come through eventually if you stick with it. Turn your Bibles to Luke 18, please. I have an amazing little parable here in in this chapter from Jesus. Jesus knew all about this issue. And I think this is an important passage as any found in the Bible. I mean, I know basic salvation is really important, but let's read it. Luke 18, verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now we get into trouble when we try to take all the details of a parable and make them all apply. That's not generally the purpose of a parable. A parable has one main lesson, and that's the lesson we have to focus on. And the lesson here was not that God is hard-hearted towards those who ask him, and you have to twist his arm and wear him out. The, The lesson here is you need to persist until God can answer what's needed. That could be because of spiritual resistance, it could be cause of your own faith, could be for a host of reasons, but God says, if an unjust judge will answer a widow lady because she just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back, how much more God's going to answer those who cry out to him as a just and loving father. And but then he asked this really really serious questions. Question Will Jesus find faith on the earth when he comes? In 2017, in South Boston, is there a person who has enough faith to push, to pray until something happens? You see, the, the, the question Jesus was asking wasn't, am I going to find religious people in South Boston? It wasn't am I going to find people who pray in South Boston, but it is am I going to find people who pray until something happens, until the answer gets accomplished, who see it through, who have the faith to stick with it. We're a needy people. If you really want to serve God, if you're really serious about living your life for God, you will soon discover that you need help beyond yourself. Now, if you're careless and don't matter how it turns out, you'll just take it as it comes, and maybe you're a religious person who believes that, oh, well, I thank God for his salvation, and i live however I live. That's just the way I am. But if you're serious about victory, if you're serious about glorifying God, if you're serious about rising above the area that costs you to be faithful. And I want to tell you something. There may be some people here tempted to smoking or drinking. I never was. Never tasted either one, and it doesn't bother me. I'm an avid reader. I'll tell you what does bother me. Books that I shouldn't read. So I have to watch that novels that Jesus Christ wouldn't read let them alone I don't know what it is for you but I believe every person likely has an area in their life that's tough for them to do the best they ought to do without the grace of God and some folks it might be gossiping some people it might be forgiving those who've talked ill of them some of them it might be lust some of them it might be materialism I don't know what yours is Some people have trouble trusting God, and they get depressed and unnerved. I don't know what yours is, but I believe probably every person in the frailty of their human experience need God. And if you don't need it for you as a person, you need it for ministry. I mean, look out upon the fields, the millions of people that need the gospel, and you and I ought to be out there doing something about it. You know what? We're weak. And we need strength from God to get the job done. And once you realize that, that I don't have what it takes, then prayer becomes a real issue because it's through prayer that I go lay hold on what I need that I don't have. I want to show you that in another teaching of Jesus Christ here in Luke, Luke chapter 11. If you turn your Bibles there. And uh, in Luke 11, in fact, this was that place I was referring to where the disciples of Jesus saw Jesus praying. And when Jesus finished praying, they said, uh, Lord, will you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray? And so then we have a version of the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer there, uh, the version we normally use is in Matthew. But this was another uh, version of that same prayer. And we won't reread that. But then in verse 5 on uh, Jesus gave this little story, I guess it was a story, either that or it was an illustration, and he talks about a man who has a friend come on a journey and he arrives late at night, and he arrives not having eaten supper. Uh, now I going to tell you something, in the United States it's hard for us to understand this story. You know Why? because you probably got places here in town that stay open 24 hours a day that have food. You know, convenience stations or convenience stores or whatever and and if not, you have freezers, right? Refrigerators. There's food in there. Or you got canned jars on the shelf. And it's easy. If someone shows up at your house at midnight, you can give them food. Well, there's a lot of people in this world A lot of people yet in 2017 who have no prepared food in the house tonight. They might have corn soaking to make tortillas tomorrow morning. They might have rice that they haven't cooked yet. There's a lot of people that don't even have their rice yet. They're hoping to come up with some money tomorrow, if they can, to go out and buy enough for that day. And they do not have ready food. I dare say there's millions If not in the billion category, we don't know about that here hardly at all. But I believe that's the kind of culture Jesus was in where pretty much, (coughs) excuse me, they made their food from day to day. And so when this visitor came, the man of the house literally had no food ready, prepared. And so what was he going to do? His visitor was hungry. He said, ah, I don't know why the neighbor had food. Maybe they had a birthday party that day. Uh, maybe they had just baked bread, and he knew they didn't eat it all up. I don't know, but he knew that his neighbor had had bread on hand. I don't know. What was it, 10, 30, 11 o'clock? I don't know. And let me tell you something else we don't understand. We don't understand what it means to crawl in bed with all our children everybody and everybody get warm together so we can, you know, sleep well because uh, we have heaters and insulation and all that. But in a lot of places in the world, there is not a furnace. There is not the added heat, and the walls are not insulated. And people get under. Now, I know what that's like in my house. My bedroom, when it's really cold outside, when it goes down to 10 degrees outside, my wife's perfume gels in the bottle. Uh, it's about 38 in our room. And we know what it is to be warm under the covers and not wanting to get out at all unless you're really ready to go. You know, I get up in the mornings once mornings like that and I make a dash for the bathroom where we have a heater. I often take my clothes with me because, you know, I'm going to dress up where it's warmed up. Um, So this man who has the bread... He is under the robes or whatever with his children, and it's gotten warm in there. this needful man comes and knocks on the door and says, I need some of the bread you have. A friend of mine came, and he's hungry. I want to give him some bread. Would you loan me some? He says, no. It wasn't because he was against his neighbor, but he says, I'm in bed, and I'm warm. I'm not getting out. But he had a problem. Because the problem was the neighbor kept on doing this. And how well are you get warm or not, how well you're gonna sleep with that? And he says, I need bread. I mean, you know, and I'm not gonna quit knocking until you give me the bread. So like, ah, okay, and he gets up and gives him the bread, and he goes home happy, and the need is met. Now, again, the meaning is not that God is reticent and you gotta twist his arm. The the emphasis is we're needy. We don't have what it takes. There's a source that has what it takes. And we have to go after it with faith till we get it. It can be obtained. It can be had. You can have what you need. Maybe it's because you're going to teach a class. Maybe you're going to lead the singing. Maybe you're going to go witness to a neighbor. Maybe you're going to preach this message. And you know that in yourself you don't have what it takes. That's why you get down on your knees... Or bow your head and bow your heart and say, Our Father. We're going to have a message here tonight. And I would never want to try to preach a message without asking the Holy Spirit of God to do it through me. You know why? it don't matter how good a job I do, I'm wasting my time and I'm wasting yours. Because... I can reach you with intellect, I can reach you with emotion, but only the Spirit of God can write truth upon your heart. Only the Spirit of God can do something permanent in your life that will be worth something five years from now. I can't do that, but God can. And that's why we come to God. That's why we have those prayer meetings downstairs. And I honor you for taking such participation in it. That's really important. And we ask God to do that which man cannot do. Because we need spiritual bread. We need to be able to feed one another with something that's beyond man himself. Even though we open this book. Now I believe the word's alive and it, it can speak to people even if someone who's not right with God uses it. But by and large, God is only going to work with power where he's invited to work with power. Verse 9. Luke 11, verse 9. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now that last statement, that powerful last statement ties all the way back to the man who needed bread. You and I and the way we live our lives, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. There's many times when we don't have what it takes even to resist temptation. We don't have what it takes to treat our spouse or our children right. We don't have what it takes to be honest in business. We don't have what it takes to live for Jesus wholeheartedly. And we come to God and say, God, help me. And God says, I have the living presence of the Spirit in your life. And you say, well, why should I ask for the Spirit if I'm already a Christian? Because it's one thing to have the Spirit in us. It's another thing to ask Him for what He has to offer for us. Because just because you get the Spirit of God in your life, He will not make a robot out of you. You must... Ask him to work on your behalf. He's not going to overwhelm you to where your will doesn't count anymore. Can you understand that tonight? You have to be a willing participant for it to work. And that's why God's saying, ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. Because that's your will and faith being exercised. And it's a little like power steering. You know, we don't have the strength to move the wheels, but we do have to move the steering wheel. And then that power steering mechanism in there gives the strength to make it happen. Now, that's a crude illustration, but you and I have to be willing participants, and then there's power inside there to help get it done. Now, I'm about half finished, and the time's about up. So I'm not going to turn to all the passages I was going to. Uh, If you remember the story in Exodus of when the Amalekites, they were a bunch of cowards, by the way, they snuck up on the Israelites from behind, hitting the weak and the stragglers, and and they hated Israel. And and by the way, God doesn't like his people being picked on, and he swore vengeance against the Amalekites for ten generations. That was what the Amalekites got out of that But anyway, they were attacking Israel from behind. And uh, Moses told Joshua, he said, you get the army of Israel together, and you go out and fight against Amalek. Remember that story? You remember what Moses and Aaron and Ur did? They went up on top of the mountain, and, and Moses had the rod of God in his hand. And as a way of prayer, he raised that rod to heaven. And when he raised it up, he, looking down there in the valley, the Israelite soldiers were advancing against Amalek, and Amalek was being beaten in war. But, hey, did you ever try to keep your arms up in the air? You, you, you can't even do it for half an hour. They, they get, like, lead up there. So after a while, he got tired, and he dropped his arms. And then to their consternation, they looked down, and lo and behold, Amalek was winning, and Israel was losing. So they said, we got to see this thing through. What are we going to do? And they set Moses down on a stone, and Aaron got on one side, and Ur got on the other, and he kept his arms up in the air with that rod, which was a constant petition to God. God, help us win this war. And they said that Moses' arms were steady. I mean, their brother and brethren were helping him, see, and he was sitting on a stone. His hands were steady in the air all day long. They probably hurt the next day, but so what? Because the victory was being won. And uh, they kept them steady all day long, and all day long, Joshua and the soldiers were winning the battle, win the battle, win the battle, until they totally destroyed the army of Amalek. One of the Bible lessons on persisting. You know, I want to ask you something. What would have happened that day if Aaron and her wouldn't have helped Moses keep his... Ride toward heaven. What would have happened if there had been no more petition? I mean, didn't God know Moses' heart that he wanted Israel to win? Sure he did. But he wanted those men to show their faith and their persistence and trust in God for God to see the battle through. That's what happened. Then there's the case of Daniel. If you notice, this is a case of partial fasting. Apparently, Daniel ate simple bread and drank water. He didn't do any special drinks, no lemonade, tea, coffee. That's a sacrifice, don't you think? No coffee or tea or anything for three weeks? And uh, only bread? And he was seeking God. And the reason Daniel was seeking God is because he knew that the time of Israel being kept in Babylon was almost over. And he wanted to know from God, where does Israel go from here? What's going to happen from here? And it was 21 days later. 21 days. You try special praying and fasting for 21 days. It takes some, I think it takes more discipline than I have. But anyway, it takes discipline, it takes faith. And Daniel kept seeking God, seeking God, seeking God. On the 21st day, an angel comes from God. And it scared righteous Daniel. It scared him right down to trembling on his face. And this angel says, don't worry, Dan, you're a beloved of God. And he said, I want you to know something. The first day you started to pray, we heard you. God heard you. The first day. But the prince of Persia resisted me. There was, there was demonic forces. You say, how does that work? I don't know if I 100% understand, but I believe just like God gives free will to Christians, he gives free will to non-Christians too. And you've got people in this county who want God to be in control, and you've got people in this county who don't want God in control. And, and God, if I can say this reverently, God plays fair. He's not just going to overwhelm his, his will in this county. If you want God to come out on top, so to speak, now he will personally anyway, but if you want God's people to come out on top with victory in this place, you've got to persist through with it. And so on the 21st day, Daniel had prayed. This is the way I see it. If you disagree with this, we'll love each other anyway. But... Um, I see that God got to the place where he told Satan, you know what? Daniel has exercised himself in fasting and prayer enough that I have the right to silence all evil desires in this place, and we're going to go through and tell Daniel what he wants to know. You get out of the road. And it's what happened. Another mighty angel came and took that prince of Persia and kind of set him over on the shelf, and the messenger of God went through to Daniel told him what he was praying about. I don't know what all that says to us about the spirit world, but I think there's some things we can learn about that. You see, Christians aren't the only people in this world. And there are forces of evil against the cause of Christ. Now, we have no doubt in the ultimate end, the kingdom of God's going to be victorious. But between here and then, well, unless it happens tonight, between here and then there's a lot of battles to be fought yet. And the victory of those battles is going to depend a lot on whether you and I push. Pray until something happens. It was true of Jesus in the garden. Why did Jesus go back three times to pray for strength to go to Calvary? I'll tell you why. Because two wasn't enough. The angel of the Lord was strengthening him. He was gaining Victory, he was telling the Lord, not my will, but thine be done. But he didn't say the words, it is enough, until the end of the third session of prayer. And by the way, repetitions, the Bible specifies that Jesus went back and prayed the same thing over again. Now, they weren't vain repetitions. They were repetitions still agonizing with God to get the strength, the grace needed to do what had to be done. One of my favorite stories, and it's not about Anabaptist people. In fact, I think these people were Anglican Christians in in England. There was an Anglican minister who was in a coma. He was very ill, was in a coma, unconscious, of course. And uh, his, his fellow ministry and everybody, they were having a big conference. I think there was like 2,000 ministers there. And in this big conference of ministry, they mentioned this man's name. And they said he's in a coma in such and such a hospital. Let's have prayer for him. A you know, lot of oomph with 2,000 preachers, right? So they start to pray. And this man, God gave him a vision in his coma. And he saw this big conference room. And he saw these 2,000 preachers. He saw the moderator announce that they were going to pray for this sick man. And he saw them begin to pray. And then when he saw them begin to pray, he saw this room, this little room that was shut all the way around tight. And it was dry leaves in the bottom of this room. And as they prayed, these leaves began to agitate and stir. And then they started to rise and rise. And then they started banging against the ceiling. And somehow God gave him understanding that there was forces taking place that wanted to break that ceiling open and, and give him consciousness again. And in his heart, he was like, oh, keep praying, keep praying. But you know, in a conference, you've got a lot to do, right? You do in Southeastern too, right? You've got to move on. You can't keep praying. So... Prayer comes to an end, and the leaves all settle back down, and the man is still in a coma. Well, they tried anyway, huh? To the degree of faith they had, they tried. Then, one too long after that, he saw his parsonage. And his parsonage was a servant lady who had did cleaning for them for years, she was a simple lady in that she had hardly had any ed- education. She could hardly read and write. And she had come there working as a non-Christian. But through the relationship with this pastor and his wife, she had become a Christian. And she really loved them. And, of course, she had worked for him for years. And this lady who didn't have much education wasn't all that advanced, whatever, in degrees and socially and all that. But she loved this pastor, and he saw in his vision her get down on her knees and start to pray for his health and restoration. And you know what he said in his heart? You'll not be able to do it. Her name was Sophie, you know. I mean, he had saw 2,000 preachers pray, and now one lady who really wasn't all that educated And that's the first thing he said in his heart. Sophie, you won't be able to do it, poor girl. You just won't be able to do it. But she started to pray, and she really loved him, and she really believed in God, and she really got earnest in praying. I was. saw that room again. And he saw those leaves begin to stir. Sophie, you won't be able to do it. But she kept praying. She just kept at it. Begging God, and they saw those leaves go up and start banging on the roof. And finally he realized in his heart that if she kept that long enough, it might happen. And then his attitude and his heart changed, and, and he said, Sophie, don't quit. Don't quit. Keep praying. And those leaves were banging and banging and banging. And finally, he woke up conscious. One woman, because she persisted, did what 2,000 men couldn't. I think there's going to be a lot of people in heaven because women that know how to pray, by the way, and men that know how to pray. You ever hear of Charles Finney? Some of his greatest support was our group of women. They also had a man, but there was a man or two and a group of women. Who many times would not even attend the service, they would just go to a little room and pray. And uh, I don't know in God's eyes. I almost wonder if the people who pray behind the scenes aren't gonna get more credit with God than the preachers do. But anyway, you take that for whatever it's worth. Why pray? I wanna close with this. Why pray? I wanna tell you because it makes a difference, it really makes a difference. When I was director of the mission there, Midnight Air Mission, in Guatemala, uh, we had a young lady working with us and a young man that started having a relationship with each other. And they were both old enough to see each other and, and consider marriage, but the problem was they were doing it in a sneaky way. Neither had talked to their parents or the ministry, and they weren't doing it in a proper way. They were just kind of sneaking around. And so I went to these young people, and I said, you know, you don't do things this way. Uh, if you want to date, um, you know, talk with your parents, get support, do it publicly, um, and especially the girl, she really pushed back. She basically, you know, don't tell me what to do. So we had a little bit of problem there, as you can imagine. And one night we had a Bible study and a prayer meeting, and we had this Bible study, and then we started to pray around the circle. You know, just normal praying like we do, just like we're doing downstairs. Each person taking their turn and praying. I'll I never forget this as long as I have my right mind. She was seated, I think, right beside me on this side, or at least within another person. And, and the prayer group had come around and it went past me, got to her, and she started to pray just like all the rest, a normal prayer to God. She's about halfway through that probably, and all of a sudden it's just like something came over. She just like broke down. And she prayed something like this. She said, oh God, I don't know how these people can stand me. I've been so rebellious and I asked your forgiveness. And she just broke down and wept and prayed. You know what? My work was over. I didn't have a thing to do after that. It was all done. And she's happily married today. I hope he is too, but they're not married to each other. See, prayer makes a difference. Prayer makes a difference. I wonder tonight if you could imagine someone, maybe someone my age. Sometimes we pick on the young people. Let's pick on the 50-year-old people tonight. And uh, maybe you don't like this illustration, but the devil has this man by the ankles over the chasm of hell. And he's telling God, God, let me bring this guy an accident or cancer or something. You know full well he don't love you. He's careless. Yeah, he goes to church, but he cares more about his golf or whatever, you know. And the devil, he's the accuser of the brethren, right? So he knows all the bad we do and everything we neglect. And he's telling God, give up on this fellow. He's mine. Let me, let me take him home to hell. I don't know if you speak of hell as home, but anyway. And you know what God's telling him? Yeah, but he has a sister who's praying for him. He has a pastor who's praying for him. And there comes a day when somebody or some bodies have so interceded for this man that the light of God shines through his heart. And he repents of being lukewarm, and he repents of being a casual Christian. And he repents of the sins he's sneaking in his life. And he gets right with God. And you know what God says? Let him go, but not into hell. Let him come back into the fold. Because someone made a difference in pushing. And I'd like to ask you tonight, is there somebody? You know, my dad died when I was 13 years old. And uh, as a young man, I at times really got into things I shouldn't. I remember one night I was out with another young man. And I was doing things I shouldn't have done. <coughs> we didn't have cell phones back then. And I, I didn't tell my mother where I was at and why I wasn't getting home. And I got home late. It was just her and I living there. I was the youngest. All my brothers had married and left home. So it was just her and I. I finally got home. I went to her bedroom. I found her in there crying and praying. And I said, that'll never happen again. <laughs> I'm not going to have my mother crying wondering where I'm at. Prayer makes a difference, see. And uh, my mother died a year ago, and I, it crossed my mind, who's going to pray for me now? <laughs> I know there are people that pray for me, and I try to pray for others. But I'm one, my question to you is, is there somebody that you can make a difference for that will make heaven because you pray? And if you don't pray, they might not make it. You see, when we pray for other people, it's not that we force their will, but we give God a chance to pour grace and light into their life in a way that wouldn't have happened if we wouldn't have prayed. Let's pray. Father, I, I just want to ask you that you would help us to rise up in faith and get a hold of this, that it's worth the discipline, it's worth the persistence, it's worth making a difference even when it costs us for the cause of the kingdom, for the good of others and the good of ourselves. So make that clear in our hearts, and we'll praise you through Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know if the chorister can lead us in a couple verses of song. And if you want to commit something to God tonight, you can stand to your feet while we sing. And I'm not going to force you to do anything. In other words, you don't have to pray with someone else if just you and God want to settle it. If you want to pray with someone about something tonight, you'll be welcome to. If you're a non-Christian you decide for Christ, you probably should get someone to help you go through some understanding and some steps in coming to God. But uh, we'll just let you do what you feel you need to do. But I want to give you an opportunity. And I, like I said, I don't think you should promise God, oh, God, I'm going to pray this every day. No, don't do that. But it would be proper if we see our song leader. Would you have a song we could sing? And so if you have something you want to commit to God tonight, all I'm asking is that you stand long enough that we can see you made that commitment. And what's the number again? Number 235. 235. Let me look what that is. All right. This song has six verses. Let's sing the first two once and see what happens, and we'll see from there. You want to commit something to God, just stand to your feet. alright thank you for considering that is there anybody who wants to testify anything or ask for a prayer it's something verbal that you'd like to share before we close okay I think we're going to have service tomorrow night and two on Sunday uh, what the, do you have the, on Sunday the same time as the rest of the week 7 o'clock, okay. Prayer time is 6.30, service is 7 o'clock. So if you're not a member here, not attendee here, but you'd like to come to that service, it's 7 on Sunday, and I guess tomorrow night will be 7.30, you're all welcome to come back. Brother Dan, will you uh, have the closing prayer for us? Let's stand for dismissal.